traumatic story, and I'm going to tell you the rest of it. My traumatic story happened about two months ago. We're in Luke 12. Find Luke 12, okay? My traumatic story for me happened about two months ago when we took all the carpet out of our basement, and I had to get rid of it. And so I asked my dad to come over, and I said, hey, dad, will you take help me take this to the dump. And so we pull up to the Crowman County dump. Raise your hand if you've been to the dump. I'm shocked, okay? So we go, we pull up. She says, what do you have? I pay $10 for all the carpet in my basement? Whatever. We drive along. We go up this big hill, and I'm like, excuse me, what is this? And he's like, this is the dump, Amanda. This is where you take your things you don't want. And I'm like, what is happening? So you drive up this thing and you're on a cliff. And he's like, I'm like, what is happening? He's like, you get out of the car, get out of the truck, and you throw carpet. And I'm like, excuse me? And there's like a heaping pile of stuff. And I'm like, well, what's the loader? He's like, the loader pushes it over the edge. And then like this big hill we're on, that's buried garbage. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. Like, this is insane. And he goes, what did you think happened? And I go, in my mind, there were these little oompas that came and, like, took the carpet, to broke it down, and made it look nice. And it just didn't get, like, put in this big pile. And so I'm, like, throwing carpet, and I'm gagging. Because have you been to the smell? The smell is horrendous. And I'm like, <gasps> and he's like, just throw the carpet. I'm like, I can't do it anymore. He's like, we did not drive a half hour for you to put this carpet back in your basement. Throw the carpet, Amanda. So I'm throwing the carpet, and I'm like, okay. And he's like, you see those vents? That's what they do. They, like, vent it because all the garbage that's buried, like, makes gases, and it smells really bad. And I was like, okay, 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 I got it. So we go back to my house, which is a half hour one way. We come back, and the pile, you guys. So here's the the cliff, and the pile, in one hour, the pile was out to here. And there are people with trailers, and they're just like, yeah, this is so fun. Someone pulled up with their fish house. They're emptying their fish house, and I was like dying, okay? So this story has been a traumatic experience for me, and I'll let you know the ending to it after Luke 12. So Luke 12, 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began, Jesus, began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more than they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten by God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than any that many sparrows. Verse 11, and when they bring you before the synagogue and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus is doing two things here. Number one, Jesus is warning the disciples to beware of the hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? 
A hypocrite is a person who wears a mask to deceive the people around them and conceal who they really are. They say they believe and do one thing, but they, do, they believe one thing, but they do the complete opposite. A hypocrite is an imposter. You've all played among us, come on. You want to find who the imposter is. Who's the guy who's really not who he says he is? Oh, that guy rumbles, seriously? Anyways, for example, you could call me a hypocrite if I say this event at the dump, I can make it really awkward. So if I said the event at the dump changed me, and if I say it changed me, but I do live my life the exact same way, you could call me a hypocrite. And if I said, oh, you have to recycle, you have to do all these things, but I don't, hypocrite, okay? Here, Jesus is calling the Pharisees hypocrites. He's warning the disciples to not be like them. They appear holy, they appear close to God, they say they do all the right things to show the outside that they follow God, but they literally have Jesus, the Son of God, in front of them, and they're like, I don't believe it. Excuse me? You say you're close to God. Wouldn't you know and see what God is doing? The Pharisees are like a drop of mint instead of vanilla when you're cooking cookies. Have you ever baked cookies and put the wrong thing in? One drop of mint ruins, thank you guys, it ruined the whole thing. It was horrible. See, they're on to me, okay? My question to you is, how are we imposters when we talk about our faith in Jesus? And how does this, being an imposter, impact our whole community and what they believe or think about Jesus? Number two, in verses four through seven, Jesus tells the disciples to not be afraid. Side note, he calls them friends. This is the first time he actually calls them friends. He's saying, hey friends, I take care of these little tiny birds, I feed them. You are worth more than the sparrows. So if God is attentive to what happens to even the slightest little creature, certainly God will show care for Jesus' followers. He cares for you, is what he is saying. After Jesus tells his friend how much he cares for them, a man in the crowd yells, hey Jesus, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance between me. And I really, so side note, we typically read ESV. It's really good when you read your Bible to read different translations. And I love how the NIV says this. It's a different translation. So he warns them in verse 15. He says, watch out. Be on your guard all from all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. When someone tells me to watch out, I usually duck, because I'm like, what's happening, okay? I look around intently, I pay attention. He's warning the disciples and us that we need to guard ourselves against greed. What is greed? Definition? An intense, selfish desire for something like power, money, and things. This brings me to my next question. How am I greedy? Because I can be. How are you greedy? How are we greedy together 
as a community and how does that impact our community? In the true Jesus fashion, he gives this warning, watch out, but then he goes into a story. And I'm actually gonna read this part of his parable from the message because I like how it says it, it gets the point better. Okay, um, if you're following along, it would be Luke 16. He says, then he told them this story. The farm of a certain rich boy, a rich man produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. And then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods and I'll say to myself, you've done well. You've got it made and now you can retire. Take it easy and have time for yourself. Just then, God showed up and said, fool, tonight you die and your barn full of goods, who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not from God. So this is what I found. 21 surprising statistics that reveal how much stuff we actually own. This was fun. Number one, there are 300,000 items in the American home. Excuse me? No wonder like I feel all I do is move people and things. The average size of the American home has tripled in the past 50 years. And, okay, number three, one out of every 10 Americans rent off-site storage. So you know those buildings you see that you can like rent a storage thing? One out of 10 um, own one of those. It's the fastest growing segment of commercial real estate in the past 40 years. So 25% of the people who have a two-car garage don't have room to park one of their cars inside. And 32, per, no wait, I'm, I read that wrong. Two cars don't have room to park cars inside them. 32% only have room for one vehicle. The United States has 50,000 storage sheds, more than five times the number of Starbucks. There is, for every person in the US, 7.3 square feet of storage space for every person in our whole country. That means that every American could stand under the canopy of one of those sheds all at the same time. Every person in our nation. Uh, number seven, 3.1% of the world's children live in America, but they own 40% of all the toys consumed. The average woman, you don't wanna know ladies, owns 30 outfits, one for every day of the month, but in 1930, that figure was nine. Think about that. While the average American throws 65 pounds of clothes away a year because they have holes or you get at socks or your dog eats them. I have many things like that. Um, we, rip, we consume twice as many material goods today as we did 50 years ago. Oh gosh, this, is a, this one was astounding. Americans spend more on shoes, jewelry, and watches than on higher education. A hundred billion dollars. Okay, two more. Shopping malls outnumber high schools 
and 93% of teenage girls rank shopping as their favorite pastime. Last one. Americans spend $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential items, which means they are spent, we are spending money on things we do not need. Flash, newsflash, we have a problem in our culture, and it's called materialism. Inside and outside of our church, our culture has a problem. We love things. We live in a culture that bombards us day and night with the messages that success is having one more thing and that we will have better lives if we have that. Advertisers flash signs and messages that promise more fulfillment, bliss, and well-being if we purchase. So why do we buy so much stuff? I am... And this message is for my heart just as much as it is for yours. Why do we have this burning desire to have this new pair of shoes, a new phone, a new hat, a new hoodie? Why do we have so much? What holes are we trying to fill with things? We have this desire. What does desire even mean? Is it up there? Okay. Okay, a desire is an emotion in our mind that we direct to get an object that we think will give us pleasure. Desires can be good, desires can be bad, but advertisers create these desires in us, cultures and friends. We see people who have things and we want them. What they fail to tell us, though, is that actually more stuff gives us more discontentment and creates more stress and worry. We think that the new shoes, the new phone, the hat, the hoodie, oh, they're going to bring me happiness. And then I wear them like two times, and I'm like, oh, I'm over that. New thing. The man in our story that Jesus tells, he has all he cannot want. He has it all. He spent his last days of life selfishly planning for a long future. He was going to enjoy his his things, not God's. If only we could gather up all the time we spent thinking, planning, moving, buying, looking, talking about, all that time about goods that we could spend with our relationship with God, how much better our hearts, our relationships, our communities, and life would be. That man's, this commentator says it really well. He the man who got all the crops said by foolishly thinking that the goods of his body were the good for his soul, the rich man neglected his soul, which then he became impoverished anyways. He didn't go, he didn't have salvation, he didn't have a relationship. Only a relationship with Jesus can secure that gift. And Jesus wants us to leave the goals and desires of material possessions behind so we can pursue a relationship with him that will truly, completely, and wholly fulfill us. His love when experienced will not leave you longing for possessions that we store. Our most prized possession should be our faith, which gives us the security of life after this earth. Jesus is telling us to desire him, 
not the things of the world. Which once again, we've talked about many times how Jesus' kingdom is upside down. The world is saying, buy all the things, do all the things. And Jesus is like, you don't need all the things. Verse 22, do not be anxious. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. Don't be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows what you need. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure, treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you remember from last week when you talked about the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us our daily bread. He will literally give us what we need. Need. That's the key. Need, not what we want. So I ask myself now, one of the things from my experience is I ask myself, do I need this item or do I want this item? Verse 24 says, the ravens have no storeroom or barn and God takes care of them. How much more valuable you are than birds. He's combining the material message, the message of the material things that won't give us security with stop being anxious and worrying because God will take care of you. In verse 31, he says, seek his kingdom and these things will be given. What does it mean to seek his kingdom? Seeking God's kingdom means we make Jesus the Lord of our life. We allow him to control our life, our finances, our goods, our school, our relationships. Seeking God's kingdom means we allow God's sovereignty, his supreme power to sweep our hearts and minds so that each human made in God's image and love dearly may relax in knowing that God's in control. We don't have to worry about this stuff. God, the creator, loves to give you gifts. He loves to give you the kingdom at your door and at your heart. This is the now. He is making his kingdom here. He will provide for you, but will you let him? He's asking us to pre-prioritize our values and what we do with all our stuff. Why do we need stuff? In verse 32, Jesus says, fear not. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Have you, you think when I say fear, you're like, what does that mean? You've all seen and you don't even know you've seen what fear does to people. Did you ever remember going to, um, right when COVID started and you go to the store and there was no toilet paper and all this was wiped out of like canned food, like you couldn't get like 
canned peaches? That is fear. People were so scared that they weren't going to have what they needed, so they just bought and bought and bought. That is fear coming out. Fear breeds obsession with survival. Fear takes the place of faith because we're not trusting. When we find security in what can be controlled rather than trusted, we can trust God to provide, and then we can trust and use the surplus that we have to help people around us. How can my surplus of things bless my neighbor? Love God and love his people. So back to the landfill. We went back and there are people like, I wanted to save things, you guys. People like pulled up with this like really nice chairs and I'm like, they shouldn't go there. And so I've been processing like why did this experience, like I had no idea going that this experience would like hurt my heart so much. And so I've been really reflecting on what God wants me to do with it. Why? And I'm not saying that any of you need to do what I'm doing, but I think that we can reprioritize and think about things and why we have things in a new way. And so part of my, my goal for this year, which is kind of crazy, because for me it's environmental as well, like how much stuff can we actually, like God's earth is being taken over by heaps of garbage. Like it hurts me. Like, so... What I'm doing, my goal for this year, is to try to find things. Well, number one is I'm asking myself, do I really need it or do I want it? But number two thing that I'm doing for this year is I am trying to only buy used things. And my son who sits in the front row goes, excuse me, does that include birthday gifts? Because he's like, uh, used? Because we have so much stuff. All these people have stuff. And so I'm not asking you to do that, but I'm asking you, I feel as though God is leading me on my own journey with prioritizing my relationship with him over my relationship with things. So my prayer is for you that the Holy Spirit work in your hearts to put the desires of this world aside and pursue a relationship with him instead of stuff. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for providing for us. I thank you that you are working in our hearts and in our mind. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to reflect on our hearts of why our culture and why each of us as a body and separately like so much stuff. And Lord, that we would find our true value in you, that it's only through a relationship with you that we find peace and comfort and dis- and comfort. Um, contentment. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go into our groups that you would help us to focus, that you would help us to have good conversation and reflect on what you are doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.